Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. A cornucopia of interestingness. It's not fall. Is it still okay to? Oh, you can use cornucopia all year round. (laughs) (laughs) I want that somewhere in the world. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. Today we're talking to writer, blogger, philosopher, and self-described interestingness hunter-gatherer Maria Popova. Maria is best known for her blog Brain Pickings, which is a series of posts dedicated to, in her own words, what matters most in the world. From science to art and anthropology to design, Brain Pickings is a one-stop shop for basically everything you would ever want to learn or think about. Brain Pickings started as a weekly email that Maria sent to just a few friends, and it's now read by hundreds of thousands of people around the world. A few years ago, it was included in the Library of Congress Permanent Web Archive, which means that it's internet forever, I guess. (laughs) Maria, welcome to Nerdette. Such a pleasure to be with you, ladies. So what is an interestingness hunter-gatherer? That's a fun phrase, but what does that mean to you? It is, I suppose, the act of walking around with a little basket of intellectual hunger and filling it with little bites of satisfying knowledge and insight and curiosity and all of that that makes us human. And so when that bucket is feeling empty, where do you go to get the things that you need? What are the ways that you find new material and new things to be fueled by? New snacks. New new, <laughs> new mind snacks. For a long time, I've said that um, literature is the original internet. And Any book you read, whenever there's a footnote, a citation, just a passing allusion, that's a hyperlink to another book, to another text. And for me now, at this point, 10 years in, I've been doing this for 10 years, I would say the vast majority of what I read, which is what I think about and consequently what I write about, comes from this semi-serendipitous hyperlinking, starting with things that I'm already enjoying and know and love, and they lead me further and further out to these new frontiers of disciplines and thinkers that I'm yet to discover. So you mentioned you've been doing brain pickings for 10 years now. Does that mean over the past 10 years you've gotten really good practice in of explaining what the thing is to people who have no idea what a blog is or what you're actually doing? Um, Well, it means that I've gotten a a very rich experience of being traumatized by the inability to articulate what it is I do (laughs) to anybody ranging from my 78-year-old grandmother in Bulgaria to, you know, a random person at a dinner party. So what do you say? How do you avoid the trauma? At this point, I just say I'm a reader and a writer and a dead silence drops and we move on. Man. So you have a really interesting background. You were born and raised in communist Bulgaria. How do you think your upbringing influenced the types of topics that you wanted to think and write about? So it's interesting because my two grandmothers are polar opposites. My father's mother was an engineer, um, raised two boys, hard atheist, extremely intellectually driven, 
The other grandmother, my mother's mother, was a school teacher, elementary school teacher. And to this day, she tells me that she says a prayer for me every night. You know, it's mm-hmm. a different world. And while the government repressed religion, people in the countryside who were kind of further from the reach of the government were very active in church. And they saw that as a means of resisting the oppression, you know, having their own tradition and spiritual holidays and things like that. And so my mother's mother lived in the country and she became a pretty devout person. And having those two mindsets in your family, what do you feel like you take from each of them? Well, I mean, I think the uses of religion are really its moral uses. And uh, my religious grandmother is just the kindest person ever, the most warmest, most loving person in my entire family. And I think those values are worth cultivating if we're able to strip away the anti-scientific, anti-intellectual, mythological elements of religion. Um, Those are things very much worth preserving. My other grandmother is a really, really scientifically driven, analytical to a point of obsessiveness mind. (laughs) And I think the convergence of these things is very rich and difficult to sustain and sometimes to reconcile, I would say, but beautiful when it's possible. While we're talking about your grandmothers, we heard that your grandmother, who was the more practical, analytical one, had a house full of encyclopedias. Is that sort of the original internet exploration for you? Oh, All yeah. these cross-references? Well, yes. And I, the most delightful thing in encyclopedias to me is that, you know, you pull this book off the shelf, you open on a random page, and you learn about pottery in Bolivia. And then next to it, you learn about Japanese music of the 16th century. And, and which is to say you discovered things that are wonderful that you were not looking for. And on the internet, we don't really get to do that. Most of it is search driven. So most of it is finding only what we look for. And I think it's so wonderful to have that opposite experience. That's interesting because you you used the word earlier serendipity, which I feel like is exactly what, what that is that you're describing. Mm. Well, it's it's a kind of controlled serendipity, right? Because you start <laughs> out with an active interest and a curiosity. And then you navigate these chains of interconnection by some existing internal interest. And even if you don't know what the thing you find is going to be, it's still within the parameters. You know, why follow this reference to the next entry and not that? So we bring much of ourselves to this discovery. Yeah, I I, I do think it's an interesting both counterpart to and almost opposite to the Internet. So, Maria, tell us about how you started brain pickings. I started it when I was in college. I'd come here to the United States from Bulgaria for college, sold on the liberal arts, you know, ideal of this kind of education that is going to teach you how to live and how to be a well-rounded person. And instead, I found myself in a very factory-based model of education, a lot of standardized testing, a lot of balding middle-aged white men reading from a PowerPoint slide and sending you home and then standardized testing you on the PowerPoint slide. <laughs> well, you know, there's I have nothing against middle-aged balding white men, but that format of learning did not speak to me at all. I have something against PowerPoint slides. I will say that. <laughs> I am anti-PowerPoint slide for learning. Maria, where did you go to school? I went to UPenn, which is a beautiful school, but I was not prepared to navigate it. It's an enormous school. So only in the last year did I discover the miracle of small workshops and roundtables and classes that actually got you to think and read and reflect and not just memorize. Mm. So 
I found myself reading things on my own at the library and uh, on the early internet. You know, this is before YouTube blogs <laughs> didn't really exist. There was no podcasting as we know it now. And so I kept a record of what I was learning. Now, meanwhile, I dropped into the school that is the 1% of America, and I'd come from the 99% of Bulgaria. So I was working all these jobs to pay for college. And one of them was at a little creative agency in Philly. There was just seven guys and, and me. And uh, I started sharing with them what I was learning at school in an effort to fuel the kind of creative potential of the team. Because I do think that the more our mental toolkit is fertilized by these very diverse stimuli from literature and science and philosophy and neuroscience, I mean, whatever it is, the more we're able to create things that are new by combining them. And so I started, I wrote to the chief creative officer of the agency and I said, hey, you know, what do you think if I start sending out an email every Friday and I just share three things that I found this week that I thought were very interesting and very outside the so-called creative industry, just to kind of enrich people's toolkit. And he was like, great, go for it. And that's how it started. And what was the initial reaction like? Did you find that people were forwarding it? Is it that it sort of grew its audience sort of organically that way? Oh, absolutely. That's what happened. They would, you know, send it to their girlfriends or roommates or whatever. And eventually I thought, okay, well, I just want to put it on the internet so I don't have to send it out. They can just go to it. And uh, I took a night class on top of the jobs and the course load. And uh, I learned coding. And this was, I mean, blogs were not really a thing. So I was putting up these hard-coded, static HTML pages every Friday, literally removing the old one, pinning huh. up the new one. Kids these days don't understand what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I freely admit that I'm an internet dinosaur by, you know, <laughs> our present temporal standards. <laughs> but th but that's what happened. And eventually I migrated it into an actual blog. I used WordPress and very, very, very organically it grew. And I just still remember the day when at the time WordPress would give you a little stat on your visitors and when you log in. And I logged in one day and I saw there were 100 visitors. And I thought, oh, my God. I don't know 100 people. Mm. So these are now officially people I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was so fascinating that we could do that, you know? Yeah, I think Trisha and I have had a similar experience even within the growth of Nerdette, right? Where like all of a sudden it was like, oh, this isn't just our moms listening to this thing. <laughs> you know, there's other people out there too. <laughs> so at what point did you realize that you could actually make a job out of this thing? Or does that still kind of blow your mind? It still blows my mind, and I'm so grateful and, and just, I mean, for, for many years, it's a complicated question, too, because I was not a citizen, and I'm still not a citizen, and but I didn't have a green card until very recently. So I had to have these day jobs, which by just the kindness of people who are mostly readers of brain pickings would hire me to help them with one thing or another so I could have a legal visa, have a day job, be able to live legally in the United States. And then finally, in 2015, I got my green card. And at that point, I no longer needed to have anything else and uh, I've been doing this. I mean, it was always really my primary thing, but uh, now it really just takes up every waking moment of my day. In just a minute, Maria tells us about Brain Picking's most popular posts. You're listening to Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. 
Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Maria, I'm wondering what are the most popular things that Brain Pickings has put out in the world? I'll say first that... um. I still, to this day, 10 years later, I still write it for me. It's still kind of my record of my growth and my learning and the things that move me, that animate me. So um, I don't look at stats. I I went through a phase, I think a few years ago, when statistics first became really available. And we're such Pavlovian creatures. You know, they're so addictive. (laughs) (laughs) You you can watch people read and, and, and sometimes in real time. And I very quickly was able to identify that this was not feeding my highest self at all. So I stopped looking at those. So I don't have much I have more of an anecdotal sense of what resonates most because I get a lot of letters from readers but some things that I think become popular by a combination of their inherent meaning or interestingness and a certain groundswell in culture that they just happen to appear in and so I think one example more recently I had written about this woman Lisa Meitner who was um, a physicist a long, long time ago before women could go to university and uh, she discovered nuclear fission and was subsequently excluded from the Nobel Prize for the discovery that she herself had made. And I'd done a fairly long piece on this obscure person, uh, very scientific, very kind of historical, biographical, and it really resonated with people. And I think it's because we're coming to terms with the systemic exclusion of women from recognition for cultural contributions that we've made over the decades and centuries and perhaps millennia. And there was something about the moment in time and the story of this woman, which is a beautiful and heartbreaking story. And that surprised me because I thought this is so obscure. I'm doing it just for my own joy of, you know, (laughs) making sense of what happened to her and how it relates to today. So when someone is that obscure, how do you even find them in the first place? Well, I write a fair amount about women in science, probably some (laughs) unlived life because I was destined to be a mathematician and I didn't become that. (laughs) But uh, I was talking to my friend Alan Lightman, who's a wonderful physicist and novelist uh, who really has gone out of his way to give voice to the history of women in science in many of his books. And we were talking about another woman, an astronomer, Mariah Mitchell, and then he said, oh, do you know about Lisa Meitner? And I said, no, tell me more. So I ended up reading, he had written about her in a book called The Discoveries, or The Discoverers, I believe. Uh, and she was one of the one of the people mentioned there. And, and I was just blown away. But my favorite part of the story, I think, and that was the reason I ended up writing about it, is uh, there's this moment where, so what happened was that Lisa Meitner was collaborating with this chemist, Han, um, who had some results that just didn't make sense to him. And he mailed her his results. And so she theoretically was able to make sense what had happened 
to the atoms that he was observing, and that was her discovery of nuclear fission. But so she was at the time staying with her nephew, and they were going. It was the middle of winter. They were going out on a walk to discuss these confounding results. And they were talking about in the moment in which she came up with that, in his autobiography, the nephew's autobiography, he describes the walk and he said, I was on snow skis and she on foot insisting she could keep up just the same. And I thought, oh, my God, this is such a metaphor for just the entire history of women in science and women in culture. And he was not being, you know, this was she was just reporting on what happened on the walk. And I thought it was so beautiful and such a poetic image and especially against the backdrop of the tragedy of what ended up happening to her. You know, she was running from the Nazis. She got stripped of all her scientific honors. She got excluded from the Nobel. And nonetheless, she devoted the rest of her long life to teaching, to physics, and to really supporting and advancing women in science. She kept up. She kept up. I think I'm going to start using keeping up without snow skis as the new (laughs) Ginger Rogers did it backwards in high heels. That is really amazing. So you say that brain pickings is essentially something that you're writing for yourself. And, you know, you've been able to kind of see your own development over time as you look back on the work that you've done. I wonder, do you keep a journal or would you say that brain pickings is sort of essentially what that place would be? Oh, I do. I do. I keep a a diligent private journal. Oh, my gosh. In which I write every night. And in fact, I have the habit of reading what I have written that day a year prior and sometimes two or three <laughs> years prior. And I have to say, our memory is so fallible yeah. and, and we are just such creators of our own mythology. And it's a real, <laughs> it's a reality check to contrast what you remember against what actually happened and to see what details you filled in in the year since uh, and how you flourish the story or you know, buried certain facts or, I mean, it's it's extraordinary what we do with our own minds. So let me get this straight. You are reading and then you are writing about what you're reading and then you are writing about what you're thinking and then what you're reading what you're writing <laughs> what you're thinking. <laughs> well, well, I, I think that's fairly accurate, except <laughs> for the exclusion of feeling, I think. Oh, right, 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 right. I, of brain pickings is more the intellectual, although I would say there's a lot of heart that goes into it, but it's in a more oblique way, I guess. And in the diary, it's very directly driven. I mean, I I am a person who feels things very intensely, and uh, I need to be able to unpack that and just give space for that. So do you call it a diary? One thing I loved about your interview on On Being was you talked about how men keep journals and women keep diaries and how that's kind of ridiculous. But you did just call it your diary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I and I call it a diary for a very um, particular reason, which is I think the, the the term journal being applied to men's writings, of course, comes from the analogy with scientific and academic journals, so formal publications. And although it's ridiculous that there is this gender divide in how these private writings are referred to, I do think diary is the more accurate of the two, so that it's not um, confused with journal as publication. You know, Tolstoy's journal was not his diary. Tolstoy's journal was, you know, the publication. 
And so just for clarity, I prefer that. Fair enough. So you're owning it. I, I can appreciate that. <laughs> it does not have a golden locket and a you know <laughs> pink cover with hearts on it, <laughs> as the commercial version does. <laughs> oh, I did love that Little Mermaid journal I had when I was five. I guess it was a diary, though. Let's be frank. <laughs> it was a diary with scented pages. Mine had scented <laughs> yeah, pages. Exactly. One of the first imports after the fall of the Iron Curtain, <laughs> those diaries. Wow. <laughs> the paper had it. Was it like floral? Was it a... <laughs> <laughs> is it like a lip smacker situation? It's like, this is my strawberry journal diary, strawberry diary. See, I can't even it's can't hard, do it it's right. It's hard to say, man. That's so funny. So, okay, Maria, you've talked a lot about how you're working all the time. And, you know, even if you're not necessarily reading or writing, you're thinking and feeling. And, you know, I think the job that you have, especially, right, there is no clock in, clock out. This is stuff that you're thinking about and absorbing and reflecting on, you know, as you said, from dawn until dusk. What I really want to know is what your guilty pleasure is. Like, please tell me you like to watch Scandal. But only if it's true. You don't. Yeah, I mean, we're not know. asking you to pretend to watch Scandal. To be clear, what is Scandal? <laughs> oh, that's the greatest reaction. <laughs> I assume it's a TV it's an even show. better reaction than it could have. Oh, it's perfect. It is. A, it is a television show. Yeah, I mean, okay. and you know, I completely respect your desire to not want to spend too much time on the interwebs. But I just wonder. I mean, you must have some kind of guilty pleasure where it's just like the ridiculous thing that you know is maybe not leading you in a deep, meaningful way. But. I have I, I have oh, one. Good. I have one. I've just thought of one. It's it's fairly new, though. Okay. I, I have a, as you might be able to tell from my <laughs> compulsive reading and writing, I have an addictive personality. Um, <laughs> so my new guilty pleasure is bridge. I've been learning bridge. <laughs> and I've, been, I've been playing bridge with my friend James Glick, who is really into it. And uh, I have to say, I have card dreams now. Wow. <laughs> Cards are a perfect example, though. I think of it's a, a game that requires just enough of your mind that it leaves room for conversation. So I love that. That's a that's a good one. You've mentioned that you feel like most of your friends, especially people you're close to, are at least a few years older than you are. And I think we're we're actually all three of us, Greta, you and I, are all about the same age. And so as a self-loathing millennial, are you saying that you are also a self-loathing millennial? I mean, if I'm even able to get to the admission that I am a millennial, right. that I, would... Yeah. <laughs> Trisha calls herself a self-loathing millennial. I call myself a reticent millennial. Mm. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I consider us the elder statesmen exactly. of the millennials. And I think that we have a responsibility as the elder statesmen of the millennials. <laughs> the dinosaurs of our generation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In just a minute, homework from Maria. Okay, Maria, one last question for you. What homework are you going to give the Nerd Out listeners? My homework is to fish out the astronomer Mariah Mitchell's letters and diaries from the public domain. They're available as a free ebook, but you can also get them at the library or preferred book seller and to read them and to read them and to really think about what it was like to be a brilliant, independent, scientifically driven woman in the middle of the 19th century, long before one could vote. And what that was like. She wrote with such beauty and such intelligence about the cosmos and society and her inner world. 
She was an extraordinary woman. Um, I think the book is called Mariah Mitchell. It's spelled Maria. It's spelled like my name, but her name is pronounced Mariah, M-A-R-I-A Mitchell. Uh, Letters and Journals. That's the title. Hey, can I ask you one like super weird random question? As I was writing things out over the last couple of days, I got to wondering if anyone ever thinks your blog is called Brain Picklings. (laughs) I know it's a super random question. I was just wondering. No, but a lot of people think my name is Brian. (laughs) That it's Brian's Pickings? Yes. I mean, this is not a joke, including the USPS. At one point, I found in my mailbox an enormous kind of packet of stack of envelopes who were to some Brian Pickens in Long Beach, California, and somehow arrived to me in Brooklyn. Brian Pickens, that's amazing. So Brian Pickens, if you're out there, I have your mail. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Joe Dassault, Justin Bull, and Candice Mattel. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer, and our intern is Brady Guy. Subscribe to Nerdette on iTunes or follow us on NPR One, or you can listen in the WBZ app. A while ago, we got a really nice five-star review from someone in iTunes whose username was Flute Jock, and I just really hope that they heard the Lizzo episode and this episode, because I really like that username a lot. You can find us online. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. In all those places, we are at Nerdette Podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Where have you been? <laughs> In a yurt. A yurt. A yurt. A yurt. It was a pretty sweet yurt. Yeah, well, while you were in a yurt, I've been here making podcasts. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh. <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.